Zach, nice of you to join us. Hey, thanks. I just <laughs> I do what I can. Uh, I show up when I can. This is Freightonomics. Thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us today. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence with Anthony Smith, chief economist here at Freightways. And Anthony, we're, we're going to dive in. We're, we're going to have to talk about that rail strike a little bit today, but we're not going to spend too much time on it. We'll, 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 we'll give some data around it and, and see what we've seen so far, but we're not going to do the deep dives. I think we've covered it. It's all over FreightWaves.com, right? Yeah, <laughs> there is a ton out there, and I'm glad we can just kind of... <laughs> Mike, Mike Bandoso said it perfectly earlier today. Um, he's glad that this has been dealt with, so now we can talk about other things, I think. <laughs> I, will, I agree with that 100%. I, you know what? Is it dealt with, or you know, is it dealt with? I don't know yet. I don't... I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm right, hoping. right. I know he's ready for it to be... Uh, kind of over too. But it is December, Anthony, and December yes. in the freight market is a, it's it's a touch of both chaos and easing at the same time. It's a very weird uh, environment to deal with because a lot of the freight that moves in December is kind of that sense of urgency is mm-hmm. like sitting around it. And yet companies are kind of ramping down their activity. Uh, they're shipping less because they're getting ready to go on vacation. And then a lot of manufacturers, of course, sh- uh, shut down at the end of the month between uh, Christmas and New Year's because it just doesn't make any sense for them to keep the uh, the power on, right. for them to have so much vacation and so little labor uh, you know, available at that point. Yeah, I mean, the run-up on being able to get the goods that we wanted in the country has already been done. Now it's the point of, hey, is everything going to sell? And what's going to sell? What's not going to sell? What are we going to have? Are we going to be able to push? And that's been a lot of the talk. I mean, we look at the macro side for the macroeconomic side, of course, it's been a big talk about Black Friday, which last year we kind of had Black November, which we kind of had another return of this year once we started getting such early notifications of, hey, Black Friday sales begin now. And it used to be, you know, you get this one opportunity, this one day of the year until Cyber Monday came around. And then Cyber Monday became, hey, this is where all the real deals are happening. Now it's turned into, hey, We're still extending our Black Friday sales, (laughs) the last chance. Are you sure you don't want to get in on this? Hey, we're just going to extend this just another five hours. You have five hours left to count down in the beginning. (laughs) And it's just really a big push on really being able to get out more and more inventory. But Black Friday, we had a a pretty decent Black Friday and Cyber Monday, right? I think it was awful. Oh. I think it was awful. I mean, it was good results. Right. But I think it's awful for the U.S. consumer because our savings rate is so low. So... (laughs) I, I think we see these these news stories around, hey, you know, stellar results for Black Friday, sign of consumer strength, but I think it's a bad sign that the consumers continue to spend and overextend themselves, credit card utilization, buy now, pay later programs, continuing to use their money that they're going to need as this economy continues to ease hiring. I'm not, I'm going to get ahead, I'm getting ahead of myself here, <laughs> some of the econ- economic updates here, but I think there is a lot of concerns right now in the overall economy. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh on that statement. But first off, let's give a quick market update, Anthony yes. Smith. Is this a you, market in two? This is a market in two. Why don't you why don't you count me in? Definitely. So <laughs> in three, two, one, go. All right. First up, we have our national truckload index. Less a little bit of fuel. Uh, we take out fuel because fuel has been a super volatile commodity. I'm going to get that to that here in a minute. If you look at the white line, that is the current year 
uh, NTIL, uh, less fuel to an extent. They say we're edging closer and closer to that 2019 value there in the orange. We did have a little bit of a bump after Thanksgiving around that holiday. Not unusual to see. However, if you looked at it over the last couple of years, it's not the biggest bump that we tend to see around the spot market. We still have what we define as peak season. The meat of that in the spot market still left to happen. But the contract side of things not showing up as much. So if we go to our next chart, uh, the contract market, not having any indication of peak season or peak activity. Now, this is highly unusual to see our tender rejection index not have a, at least some level of bump or upward movement. Uh, we are still sitting right around one of the lowest levels of the year in thanks, after Thanksgiving. It's not unusual to see this index drop after the holiday a little bit, uh, but we never jumped up. So going into the Christmas holiday uh, period, you see the last Four years there, every single year, the tender rejection index increase. Carriers are simply taking everything they can get. Let's go to the next chart, our OTVI MTH. This is the monthly value of tender volumes of tenders going from shipper to carrier. We had our largest month-to-month drop in November, a 10% dip here. Uh, so tender volumes going down, demand going down in December. If you look at all those other dips over the last several years, December is the slowest month of the year traditionally. So we've got another little bit to fall in terms of demand. Let's go to our next chart, the NTIF, which is our forecast there in the dotted line, forecast to drop significantly over the next little bit into peak season. And a lot of that actually, Anthony, has to do with the fact that we are forecasting fuel as part of this equation. Another minutes that's been expertly done zach that was amazing once again and also i have to mention i forgot to mention at the top of the show if you see me looking down of course every once in a while just doing some black friday extended shopping but <laughs> just kidding i'm I looking i'm looking on linkedin so uh if you want to join in on the conversation you're tuning in we appreciate you you can do that right now you have a hot take you want to get one of us canceled you want to say something you want to add to the conversation there's something that we're missing something you want to add on to you can do that right here in the linkedin comments we'd love to hear from you yeah. So you notice that forecast that we have. We just released that forecast variable in the last month, and it's a forecast of spot rates. It's got a lot of downward pressure on it. Now, I want to highlight, I want to spend a little time on the fuel aspect of that, because that is a component, because spot rates have fuel baked into them most of the time. They're all in rates as they're quoted. Uh, but some of that, the downward pressure in that is based on the fact that fuel prices should be falling. However, they are not. I want to pull up this one chart, the ULSDR, our rack price compared with uh, the diesel retail price of fuel uh, that we have, I think, queued up here uh, that they should show next. There we are. Yes, there we go. So we have the green line is the retail price of fuel. That's what a lot of smaller fleets, small carriers pay. It's what we pay at the pump if we were to go to the gas station. That's the average retail price. It's what a lot of fuel surcharges that these shippers pay. Uh, are based on is that green line up there. You look at the white line, that is the rack price or the wholesale price of fuel. If you have a lot of equipment, if you have a lot of buying power, you're able to go and purchase diesel fuel off the rack wholesale. You've got a you know a secret little vendor that you can go to. Uh, it's not a secret vendor, but it is <laughs> it is a uh, it is something that larger fleets and people that need to buy you know handle a lot of fuel can go and purchase on. And you see that that white line is dropping quickly. Right. <laughs> And that's expected to translate up into that green line eventually. And normally it does. If you look at it historically, they will move. But that green line is being extremely sticky right now. 
and it's not falling. The retail fuel providers are not dropping the price of fuel as fast as they possibly could. That is expected to show up, but maybe it won't. (laughs) They might be waiting on that. They might be expecting that white line to bounce back up. So that is a big, that, I mean, you're talking about a huge five to 10% fluctuation in the price of transportation in the month of December. So there's a big gap there. Uh, And that blue line that you're looking at uh, illustrates that gap. It is the highest it has ever been, Anthony. So I, I remember back in Arkansas, we were having a conversation. Because we have tons of conversations from time to time. We, do. we don't just meet up for this. And we're, I was asking you about oil and uh, you know diesel market. And one of the things that you mentioned was speculation really being a mm-hmm. big part of it. Are you seeing that still here? You know, that's definitely a John Kingston. <laughs> I think speculation <laughs> is obviously a huge part of uh, oil prices in general. Uh, that's why it's been deregulated. That's There's a lot of arbitrage opportunities in that market right now, especially if you're a larger carrier. Uh, You can go and buy fuel and then pass along a cost based on a much higher rate. Uh, So it's uh, it's a weird place. But this is actually a tailwind for people that can buy uh, fuel off the rack because they pass along charges based on that higher retail price. Right, right. That's a big one. And Zach, is it time that we talk about... Let's do it. Let's do it. We almost, I almost said, Mike, come on and, and give us give us a blurb, but I wanted to give him a break <laughs> uh, about this. But yeah, we need to talk about the rail strike and the news anomics uh, situation. We got a few pretty decent little stories here. Let's go ahead and knock this rail strike situation out. So obviously anybody that's watched FreightWaves.com uh, and all of our programming this morning for sure, uh, Joanna Marsh, Mike mountain uh, now Rachel Premack has gotten into the mix of covering the rail strike. Everybody wants to know what it means. Uh, from a freight market perspective, um, it hasn't made a huge difference. We saw a little bit of you know, some weirdness in September. I yeah. think Tony Mulvey called it out. I want to pull up a chart here, uh, the rail strike chart as I have it labeled, uh, to illustrate what we saw earlier in the year. So this was in September. If you look at the green line there, green line is our outbound tender volume index for the Ontario market, Los Angeles. This is where most of the rail volume, long haul rail volume originates in Southern California and it goes to Chicago. It's the biggest single lane in the United States. Uh, there's other lanes, obviously, but this one is a pretty big long haul freight line. You see in the green line there, it jumped up after Labor Day. Yeah. Spike. And you see the white line. That is our loaded container, intermodal container volume for both domestic and intermodal or international size uh, containers. You see there's a dip there. It dropped unseasonably so after the Labor Day holiday. Then it recovered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we saw kind of the inversion where we saw rail volume spike and truckload volumes out of, or truckload demand out of Ontario dip. Right now, look at where OTVIONT is. Yeah. It's significantly lower than it was. Thinking. Look at where O-Rail loaded is. Significantly lower. We're already out of that time of year. So even if there is a rail strike, the threat to influencing truckload capacity is not that strong for a short-term event. Gotcha. See what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're going to, you know, if you read all the articles and especially the one that Rachel wrote and uh, about, you know, house votes to prevent rail strike, there's a lot of indicators here that the strike probably won't occur. But if it does occur, there's going to be this intermittent short-term burst potentially, but we're, we're already exiting like peak season. Like yeah. September was actually the worst time of the year for this to happen. Yeah. September into October is the long haul freight season. 
December, we're ramping down. So there's a lot of space left. Got you. So you're saying that they should have really threatened to strike a lot sooner. (laughs) (laughs) They had more leverage in September than they do now, for sure. Uh, But we still, I think the biggest threat here is not necessarily to the container freight, Mm -hmm. but to the bulk commodity freight. That is a dramatic, that has a wide range of impacts. And that's the most detrimental impact because that capacity is not fungible. Yeah. With anything, there's not like a bunch of bulk containers sitting out in Los Angeles or in Denver, uh, ready to load up all their raw materials um, and the grains and, and things like that. That there's just not enough equipment there. Exactly. So that's the biggest threat, and that's why that's a threat to inflation and all sorts of other things because that's down that's upstream raw materials that won't get to the manufacturing. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, this has a lot of implications or had a lot of implications, and I guess in some way still does. I mean, we're looking at that. It also goes into people's jobs, being yep. able to hold your positions because, hey, now the manufacturing plant that doesn't receive those materials has yep. nothing to actually do. Now the uh, plant has to shutter. Now there's people out of work. And then that kind of leads into a whole host of other problems as well. And I won't even get into right now the macroeconomic aspects of it, of a lot of folks not having a robust amount of savings to even hold themselves over for, you know, hey, I'm going to be out maybe a month, two months, three months. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that would have definitely left a lot of people exposed for sure. Yeah. And, and it's a very important story to continue to cover. We have a little bit of a fun here because we, we live in that space, but it's, it's definitely still something that you want to keep tabs on to make sure that you are prepared for whatever that uh, impact is. Uh, speaking of jobs, Anthony Smith, yeah. uh, FedEx announces they're going to begin driver furloughs for their LTL division. Um, this is not unusual in LTL, Anthony, uh, just want to call that out. December, uh, happens every year. LTL providers tend to have voluntary furloughs. This is not new. Mm -hmm. I think it's new in the way that they're announcing it (laughs) and probably getting in front of the news. And there's probably some extra level, uh, of furloughing going on versus historical trends, but it is not unusual to see, uh, LTL furloughs in the winter and, 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 even drive this a little bit further that, you know, those that take part in this voluntary furlough were guaranteed to return to work and have that confirmed. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, it's never great to have a furlough situation. And it is, it is strange to announce it in the driver sector sector, but this is LTL drivers. These aren't over the road drivers. These are largely P and D going less than a day's travel away. They're back home every night. These, these are not the same drivers that we talk about with the driver shortage, mm-hmm. if you want to call it that. Uh, you don't have as much trouble recruiting these drivers. So it's not, my takeaway here is it is something that they've reported it, but I don't think it's a huge sign of anything that's that's major for FedEx. Now, when we typically see this, do you know how long the, the furloughs usually last? It's typically through the winter. Okay. I mean, they, they said till March 6th in their, in their note, and that's literally when freight volumes tend to start picking back up. Gotcha. And so... <laughs> When we see this this furlough, do you ever hear stories of like these drivers that or have been furloughed picking up something else and doing something else in the meantime? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they a lot of the driver or a lot of the employer employees already know that the winter furloughs are coming. Now, I'm not speaking for everybody in this specific situation yeah. for sure, but there are uh, people that have this, and they, they do this too because they can get on some unemployment benefits mm-hmm. to an extent. Uh, they get it. They get that going. And sometimes it works out better for the employee. And so when I'm looking at this, I almost get reminiscent of, of course, not so much um, where we saw 
driver furloughs last year. But one of the big things that we saw last year that was really an interesting trend within the overall employment market was um, part-time labor, especially within warehouses. Yeah. Um, that was one that was really kind of extended on a little bit longer. So we saw usually seasonal help that's brought on for part-time work yep. throughout these holiday months was really extended on just because there was that need for that labor mm-hmm. um, throughout, you know, not just the holiday months and, you know, November, December into January, they were being held on to in February into March. And it was like, is this really kind of like a part-time thing? Um, now I think we might see maybe a little bit less of that, but once again, we're still seeing that warehouse inventories are still very much elevated. Yeah. Uh, we saw a story earlier about industrial production facilities. The real estate market there is kind of collapsing. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as many purchases as were happening this time last year, but yeah, that is, that is definitely, uh, I think that's kind of a, we're exiting that environment yeah. <laughs> uh, to an extent. One last story here. Uh, John Kingston writes this one, BMO trucking indicators in Q4 weaker, but only by a small amount. Now, BMO is basically a lender, a Canadian lender to trucking companies. 90% of their portfolio is lending to trucking companies. Um, Takeaway here for me, uh, you know, it goes into the numbers of it where they had, you know, write-offs slowly increasing throughout the year here. Uh, we've got, it was Q4 write-offs for 3 million, Q3 write-offs for 2 million, second quarter write-offs were 1 million. So a slow, gradual trend of increasing write-offs. However, these write-offs, which are indicative of bad debt, (laughs) um, which means that trucking companies are struggling, still at historical low levels. Uh, You know, they're going to top out around, what, $8 million for the year, by estimates. Uh, In previous years, what they've seen as much as $113 million (laughs) of write-offs. So still, like... You know, we t- a lot of questions I get around trucking company exits, that's not happening yet, <laughs> is what this tells me, is that we're not seeing the uh, capacity leave the market. And, and again, we're expecting it to more consolidate, not leave as much as it has in the past. That was going to be my other uh, point around there, is that the expectation around consolidation. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about this morning on the Roundtable Freightonomics yeah. edition on <laughs> Freight Loops Now, where we're also on. Um, around, uh, was it Night Swift, that expectation that really announced, uh, yep. hey, we're looking to con- or acquire as this consolidation begins. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the big thing to watch is how much, what level of consolidation are we talking about? Exits may not be the best indicator of trucking market strength or loosening, tightening, et cetera. But consolidation is a, is a silent kind of factor in capacity tightening because you have less competitive units bidding for the same freight. Yeah. <laughs> Consolidation is less visible. Exits, you can kind of see, quantify. Consolidation, not so much. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And Zach, I got to mention, of course, here and in, in our final few minutes here, some of the econ updates that we've Please. had in the overall macro world here. So a little bit of the econ update. One of the big ones that we saw that happened over this last week was the ISM PMI. And industrial uh, production and essentially yeah, industrial <laughs> yeah. production, manufacturing activity. One of the things that we saw here was contraction mm-hmm. finally happened now reading at 49 percentage points. And so we are finally at the contraction moment. And it's not like, hey, we're, we're here. We're excited. It's just it's been a long time coming. Now, there's still some runway, of course, work in process goods. Of course, we look at automotive, some other uh, industrial aspects of things that we're just waiting on a few components. But when we're looking at the, the, the trend overall, it's a bit concerning because new orders are a big one. Of course, new orders, we care about it because the orders go into production, production turns into shipment, and then freight 
mm-hmm. that gets shipped throughout the country. And then there's that freight aspect as those new orders turn into production, those goods get shipped across the country for that production for until it becomes a final good. So the big aspect around that is new orders was in contraction before in the previous month and dipped further contraction now at a 47.2. So we're seeing that there's even more contraction within new orders, so less activity coming in. Now you may be thinking, hey, of course there's new orders that, you know what's dying down, but at least we have backlogs to work through. And Zach, that's where we get into this next part. The previous month had back orders at 45 percentage points. This month it dropped even further, now reading at a 40 percentage point reading. Now that backlogs are getting worked through at a very rapid um, uh, momentum or pace here. And so we're seeing new orders contracting, manufacturing activity overall contracting, and we're seeing the backlogs really being worked through. Do you think a lot of that backlog uh, contraction is in cancellations? Do you think some of that's yeah. manifesting now? I think that was a big part that we, we I think we mentioned a, a few months back that that is a thing that can right. happen. And of course, one of the big things that we were also talking about was that that run up in manufacturing activity, because of course, the increase in interest rates. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, when we saw, for example, in the consumers, increase in, increase in interest rates usually means increase in mortgages as well. So we saw a run up in, hey, I got to lock in this new this house before mortgage rates get any higher. Likewise, with manufacturers and producers of goods, sometimes they're going to leverage credit. They want to get ahead of some of these purchases before those interest rates make it a little bit more expensive. And I got to ask you this. So we're, we're seeing this, obviously, transitory cycle. We were super overheated last year yeah. in terms of activity, economic activity. We have supply chain backlogs. They couldn't work through the backlogs, et cetera. Um, and do you think that we're seeing, we're, we had so much room at the top of that cake <laughs> yeah. that we're now, like it took, it's taken us so long to kind of work our way down because we had so much buffer that the momentum is actually going to carry us a lot stronger downward. I think, uh, you know, the Fed is now finally signaling they're going to slow the pace of increase. Yeah. But do you think that macroeconomic data might just be too slow to report what kind of level of speed the economy is actually shifting underlying all that macroeconomic data? Oh, for sure. I mean, when you're looking at some of the big reports, a lot of people, you know, push forward as signs of strength or signs of weakness. Right. One of them being job openings. It's a, in my mind, is a lagging indicator. Yeah. We look at overall job openings. So we're seeing, I think the latest report showed around 10.3, 10.4 million or something like that. Um, job opening numbers, but you know, hiring has been slowing for the entire year for the most part. I think two months of increase throughout the entire year here. Um, so I think there's definitely a slowdown um, or, or a slowing uh, effect in the economic data and yeah. then the impact of a lot of decisions being made. Um, we're looking at uh, the course of the Fed. The slowing down in interest rate increases is one thing, but the big thing around the Fed is that they don't, once we're in a cyclical you know, uh, recession here, um, that they can fully uh, recognize. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big thing is, is that they don't have many tools in their bag that aren't inflationary building. Right. And so when we see the previous aspect of recession, they were able to make these changes that would have some impacts to inflation, but we were in a highly inflated environment. Now this is going to be a little bit more difficult because now we see, you know, down the eyes of a recession, what are you going to do, Fed? They don't have many other actions other than bringing down interest rates, pausing hikes, or doing something that's going to in- increase inflationary pressures. The other big aspect, we talk about it all the time, um, are really imports really kind of yeah. falling down. We're seeing fewer, fewer goods coming into the U.S. You know, hey, we were overheated. 
But now, of course, it's a the supply chain, the pendulum swings and overcorrects. Now, are we going to be in a position where we don't have enough goods coming in and we find ourselves back into that position of, hey, we got to try to pull stuff in again. Now we're looking at long lead times and high demand. Yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on the on the first quarter here? Because, I mean, it, I think we're going to start to see the manifestation of a lot of these rate increases really start to show up in the first quarter. Yeah. I, and I, and I, my feeling is, just like the freight market did, this, you're going to start to see things really have some teeth. Whereas I think they've been gradual macroeconomically. I feel like we're going to go into, and I don't like to use that word, feel. <laughs> but it seems like, to me, based on a lot of the upstream fast data that we look at, mm-hmm. we're going to start to see a pretty decent acceleration in that in the coming months. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think um, there was a lot of, I won't say wiggle room, but mm-hmm. I think buffer to yeah. protect a lot of, of the U.S. from that. Right. I think that buffer is is really kind of thinning out here. Right. And as you said, a lot more, has a lot more teeth to it. Um, one of the big things, of course, I talk as a buffer was the jobs market. That is becoming a, a thinning veil. It used to be the stronghold and that is just now starting to diminish. Right. And once that does, these consumers are going to be left exposed to record levels of debt and savings that has not been this low since 2008, which wasn't the best time for a lot of consumers. Yeah, consumers not in as good of a position, but they're still buying some Amazon goods. Unfortunately. Let's enjoy Unfortunately. this. Let's try to enjoy the Christmas uh, while we can. Uh, we still got a long way to go in December, however. Thank you so much uh, for watching. And of course, you know, click subscribe if you're on YouTube and download it on your favorite podcast player. We'll be back same that time, back channel next week. That's right.